Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of Carnival Cruising Podcastaways, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything Carnival Cruising related. My name is Trevor Shelby, and joining me on this crazy, kooky, uh, crazy, I don't know, cruising adventure <laughs> is my good friend, Thomas Kennedy. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. Uh, man, I just went back in time and did that. Yeah, that thing. well, you know, hey, I like that Super Bowl commercial. It was funny. Well, well, the, I'm kind of going back time. in time anyway, because, you know, we're, we've got a special guest who i know this is exciting yeah, yeah. and he he's someone that i know so it's like i'm going back in time <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm going back in time and my hair is growing back <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who can't see me which is all of you i put my head down in the camera and you can see right through my hair to my scalp so <laughs> My hair is not growing back. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest here, uh, Mr. Zach Lee, who has been a a member of the Carnival Entertainment staff as a musician and um, has been on at least one ship that I know of. Um, Zach, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us, you know, you know what you did on the ship and what ships you've been on, and how long uh, you were with Carnival uh hi everybody uh, my name is zach lee um i used to be a musician and a musical director on uh, various carnival cruise ships i worked on carnival ships for about 10 or 11 years and i was on a i, I couldn't tell you all the ships i was on uh, the ones i can remember are the uh, the first one was the uh, fascination um i was on the uh, jubilee celebration i think i was on the holiday for a little bit um i was on the imagination i was on the uh, glory the legend i actually did the um the inaugural oh, wow. uh, cruises for the legend nice and the liberty and uh the spirit i was on the spirit for a little while you and, were on like all, a lot of the legacy uh, ships weren't you yeah, um, I uh, I left Carnival back in 2009, and I went back out for a small period of time in 2013 or 2014 after I'd finished up my, I guess it was 2014, after I'd finished up my uh, graduate degree, mm -hmm. I went out and did one more contract with them to save up some bread, Cool. and then I was offered a teaching job, um, that's so like i stopped doing all that for good at that point um, <laughs> so but, uh, yeah. are the contracts the same as like with the housekeeping and the the, the uh food service areas where it's six months at a time um yes and no um it kind of depends when uh, i first started working on cruise ships they wanted you to commit to anywhere from four to six months um, but with musicians, uh, particularly some instruments, some positions are notoriously difficult to fill, or at least were at the time. So they would make exceptions if they really needed somebody and maybe bring somebody out for a short-term gig until they could find a more long-term replacement. Um, 
personally, my contracts were usually a little bit longer because the way I had um, my situation at the time, I, I got out of my lease and everything when I went out on ships for good. And uh, I didn't want to have to, you know, be sending money home for rent and all that stuff. And I wanted to bank as much bread as possible because that's why I was out there was to save money to move to New York. And so I would do eight month, 10 month contracts pretty regularly. And the longest contract I did was just shy of 13 months. That's a long time out at sea. Yeah, I did go a little crazy on that one. But um, it, it, yeah, our contract situation was always different. We had a little bit more uh, flexibility in how we negotiated our contracts than, you know, say the housekeeping department probably employs more people than any other department. So flexibility in a situation like that doesn't really work for them. They're hiring so many people and they have to have so many people for everything to work and function. Um, with us, there's a lot of flexibility because there's a lot fewer of us. Yeah. There, there's you know, on even the largest ships, there would be fewer than, I think the most musicians I was ever in charge of would have been, it was less than 40, you know, probably more like 25 or 30 at any given time. Wow. I kind of think, but yeah, we, we never would have more than that. And, you know, there are hundreds of people in the housekeeping department. So um, with, with our situation, things generally tended to be a bit more flexible in okay. terms of our contract length and all that. Um, now, as far as like your off time, um, did you know the 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 housekeeping and wait staff? I know they have like really long hours. You guys like have gigs in different areas of the ship at different times, correct? So you have different off times and than most other people would correct right um like for example my my longest day on and you know but my longest day was never as long as you know somebody in the housekeeping department yeah. those guys work ridiculously long hours and um you know we we actually had an issue with that back when i was on ships um there were reports of people that were being asked to clock out and then continue working after they had been clocked out. And this was in clear violation of the Jones Act, which is, you know, basically stating you can only, you can't work anybody more than what was it, 70 or 75 hours a week. Yeah. And uh, that became a big deal and Carnival, um, I don't even remember if it was on a Carnival ship where that happened, but it, I think it may have been another cruise line under the Carnival umbrella, I forget. But I do remember them instituting a lot of changes while I was there specifically to address the long working hours in other departments. And they're still working ridiculously long hours. And um, with us, it was never really that difficult when I was a sideman. Um, we might, my longest day would have been the uh, formal night, the first formal nights mm -hmm. where on the first ship I was on, for example, we might do uh, a set at noon and a set at three. Usually those would be playing like, a, it'd be like a traditional jazz set, you know, doing like Louis Armstrong type stuff. Yeah. And uh, then we would play sets at five o'clock and seven o'clock. And those were traditional big band 
sets, you know, playing like a lot of Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey type stuff, a lot of Count Basie and Duke Ellington. And then we would play production shows at 8.30 and 10.30. And those are the shows with the dancers and singers. And uh, usually it'd be like a Broadway themed show or a Hollywood themed show. Um, those, those shows were, you know, they're, that those shows were a lot of fun to play. They were also really difficult to play because it's like, take all the really, the, the pieces out of a Broadway show that have like the most difficult trombone parts and put them all in the same show. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And then we would have a midnight show from midnight to one o'clock. So on those days, you know, our day would start at noon and end around 1 a.m. And, you know, those were long days. And your, your brass players in particular had to be really solid in terms of their abilities. And, yeah. you know, we, we had to hire guys that could play a whole lot of different kinds of music really well. But the next day after that would usually be a day off for us. On most ships I was on, we had, it, we had one day off a week which a lot of crew members don't have. And, uh, you know, very rarely would any of the other days have more than four or five sets in them. And they would usually be a little bit closer at night. And on Carnival, unlike a lot of other cruise lines on Carnival, we actually had a lot of input into what a lot of the extra work we did was. So it wasn't like they were telling us you have to go play this kind of music over here. We had a lot of input into how that scheduling went and uh, it, which it was something that made it a bit more fun for the musicians. Um, but it was also something that allowed us to interject in those instances where we might have someone running the entertainment department that didn't know so much about how to schedule music appropriately. Um, and uh, I think just the general level of autonomy that we had, we were able to attract a lot of musicians and entertainers to Carnival that would have been hard to do otherwise because the pay at the time was not the best in the industry. I'll, I'll just say that. But we went there because it was a better time. We got to play with better musicians. Uh, it was a good hang. You know, everybody was friendly. Everybody knew each other. Um, I remember one time they were asking that, like, you know, people from the office would actually come out and ask us for feedback about the experience of working there because they were trying to get rid of turnover. And um, one of the guys asked me or asked a, another musician next to me, like, what are one of the things that you can complain about here? And he was like, y'all don't hire enough women. <laughs> and everybody just started laughing. And, uh, you know, we, we had these very beautiful dancers that worked on the ship and the uh, guy from the office had remarked, well, why don't you date one of the dancers? <laughs> and he was like, look at me. Do you think these girls want to date me? You need to hire more women. <laughs> See, I, I, I fall in love many times with my wait staff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, those Russian and, and Eastern European wait staff that they that they have. Oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> Oh yeah, they're looking for like, green cards. Well, like when I first started working, though, there there weren't as many women working on the ships as there are now. You know, it was still largely a very male-dominated industry, 
and uh, there weren't very many women working in the bands either, at least not in the show bands. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, he had a point. It was like, it's, it's you know, not just from a standpoint of, you know, a, let's be a little bit more egalitarian in our hiring, but also from a standpoint of if you want a happy crew, <laughs> you need members of the opposite sex, you know? I mean, just too many yeah. men working way too hard all the time is going to create a lot of aggression. <laughs> and when yeah. you, you noticed right away when they started making those efforts there, because it was almost like the mood, just the general vibe on the ships, like relaxed so much. It was just, everybody was just a lot calmer and a lot more chill. And some people be like, it's because there's more girls. And I was like, no, it's because there's less guys. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah too much testosterone can be a bad thing sometimes yeah and you know that that seafaring um the seafaring culture in general tends to promote uh testosteronic (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was a good thing (laughs) so with like any downtime that you had or uh days off um were you able to like freely roam the boat or were you kind of regulated to certain areas of the ship um with uh the with uh, musicians and the rest of the entertainment department uh we generally had um uh, not so much guest privileges mm-hmm. but guest area privileges we could go into any of the guest areas we couldn't go into like their cabins or anything right. that was always good no no but um we could go out on the lido deck go out on the promenade deck we could you know, if if we were in port, we could go swimming in the pools up on Lido deck. Um, but if we were in port, we got off the ship. That makes uh, sense. That was like, I mean, you might have a band with 10 guys that are heavy drinkers in it. I'm not <laughs> saying they were all like that, but some of them were. That's, you know, we would all try to... A lot of us, we got along really well. One band that I was in, I managed to get a whole lot of guys that I went to school with at UCO on that band. So, and the other half of the band that wasn't UCO guys were all these guys from Canada that knew each other. And we were all really good buddies. You know, it was like a family. And we used to go out and party together all the time. Was Jacob Staggs one of those? <laughs> Jacob Staggs, Jacob and I were not on the same ship together because we both played trombone. And they only hired one trombone at that time. Uh, but I helped Jacob get hooked up with his gig, which was a better paying gig. <laughs> a different cruise line, by the way. <laughs> I know Stoney was on on a different cruise line as well. Yeah. yeah, me me and Stoney actually worked together. Um, but uh Stoney was doing the art auction thing at that time. He wasn't playing trumpet anymore. Oh, that's nice. And uh we uh we were actually in Europe together. Me and Stoney and Steve Frill were on a ship together in Europe. Uh nice. that was a lot of fun. And um yeah, we it Europe was the best. Uh <laughs> Europe and Alaska were my Europe, Alaska, and Hawaii were my favorite places to go just because there tended to be a bit more time off during the days. Part mm-hmm. of it was because we those cruises are a little bit more expensive, so we'd have a lot of older people, mm-hmm. and those older people would go to bed earlier at night, Yeah, and which meant we ended up with a lot more free time than normal because you know they would schedule us, but then we'd be playing for empty rooms sometimes, so we were... We were like, hey, you know, let's do 
this. They'll like this. This will be a big band thing. This will be a jazz thing. And we got to do a lot of the music that we like playing and we would schedule it in such a way that it wouldn't interfere with our port time or because, you know, they're getting off the port, uh, off the port as well. And that way we can cover our hours and make sure the office sees us working at the proper number of hours, but work it out to where we have a lot of off time in ports at the same time. And uh, Europe was great. Part of it was because, you know, I had friends there from other ships and from college, but it was also just the amount of time I had off in port to go and visit, you know, just walk through Venice or, you know, go to Rome, go see the Sistine Chapel, you know, is it, just all that kind of stuff. It, it was great. Yeah. So did you, did you guys have a set chart list or did you set that as a musical director or could you like premiere something that you've written or something like that? Oh, um, all of the above. All of the you know, above? For, yeah. <laughs> for some shows, <laughs> you have, you know, specific things you have to play, obviously. You know, like if Charo or John Davidson comes on, they have a specific act that they do with us. But um, for, uh, say, for a big band night, you know, the only instruction is, okay, we got to play old big band standards that people re will recognize and want to dance to. Um, the only... The only given on those nights was, yeah, we're going to have to play in the mood for the 517,000th time. Um, but everything else would be stuff that we picked. And uh, for a lot of the small group sessions or um, time that we had carved out in the schedule where basically they told us, okay, put something together to play at this time in this lounge, um, we would end up doing a lot of original stuff on gigs like that. And that really helped me a lot as a composer and arranger. I had a band there to work with all the time and write for. And it, that ended up being a good side gig as well. While I was out there, I was doing a lot of the writing for fly on acts and helping build up new shows and stuff like that. And a lot of those connections I made doing that out there ended up really paying off when I came back on land, so to speak, yeah. had to, find out how I was going to pay my bills with I mean <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard some of the stuff that you've written you know you'd be uh hard pressed not to find someone who wouldn't like your stuff so well thank you no problem you should come out to the gig tonight <laughs> that's a long drive for me I'm in Tulsa <laughs> oh yeah that is a long drive <laughs> Now, this question actually comes from one of our listeners who actually requested that we try to find an entertainer to, to, to interview. Like, he wants to know how, besides the, the piano bar and the Red Frog, where the Red Frog has the guitar player and a chip, tit jar, what is the best way to tip a musician or one of the entertainers that is not sitting out freely in... Uh, in the open like the piano bar or the Red that's Fox. a that's a good question um and we had some questions about too when i was out there because they uh they uh, a, a diktat came down from on high once that said that only the piano bar or other approved entertainers like the the guitarist which was probably hired to replace another tipping position at some point um, only those people would be allowed to put out a tip jar. And uh, it had actually come down after a ship that I was on where we used to, 
even when we weren't scheduled, we had these C days where, you know, we'd be at C and we had our, we had a rehearsal time scheduled on that day and they took it away from us. And we were like, well, we kind of need that rehearsal time because we would have these fly-ons come on and, you know, like a, a ship entertainer comes on to perform with the band. If we've never performed with that person, when they come on, we come in, we have, we have just enough time to read through all of their music once, if that, and then it's got to be perfect for the show that night. That's, that's why, like when we were hiring musicians, people that ended up out there that weren't, that couldn't handle that sort of pressure would get fired. You know, you, there used to be horror stories that I would hear about guys that had been on a ship for like two hours and <laughs> they're already getting fired, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, it could be a stressful gig if somebody didn't have that skill level. And uh, we, we were always just really um, protective of our rehearsal times because we would have a show that night and we need, we need time to rehearse these fly-on entertainers. So what we did was we ended up putting that time as a set in the schedule where we could go out on the promenade and play a jazz set or something. That way, if we had a new entertainer, they could just pass out all of their music to us and we could play through it as part of a afternoon teaser show. But really, that would be our rehearsal. We're seeing that music for the first time right there in front <laughs> of the And, uh, you know, I'd be on the thing, like explaining to them, hey, guys, uh, these guys are working really hard for you. We're just now seeing this music for the first time. You're getting to see a live rehearsal right now. Here, tip your musicians. They're working hard for you. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that we got the diktat <laughs> to not do that <laughs> uh, a couple of months after that. <laughs> and, uh, so, like, if you're trying to throw a tip to the other people in the band, um, you know, going up to them after a set is finished and handing them cash is fine. It's just, they can accept tips. They just can't ask for those tips. They can't put out tip jars unless, you know, you're like a piano bar guy yeah. or something. And okay. yeah, we will get questions like that a lot. And I tell people, no, you can tip us. I just can't ask you for the tip. I can't put out a jar here. <laughs> you know, they might, okay, here you go. Here, buy the band a drink. You know, one Budweiser and ten straws. <laughs> one Budweiser and ten straws. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, would you consider consider your time with Carnival or on the ships in general just uh, a very positive experience in your in your career, or you know, anything negative or anything like that? Oh, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I was out there for a long time. It, you know, the, there were negatives. Um, the first seven years that I was out working full-time on ships, I didn't go home for Christmas uh, or, the, or any of the holidays. You know, I missed a lot of really good time with my family while I was out there. You know, time that I can't get back. Yeah. And that, if I have any regrets, th those are the regrets. But other than that, I, I don't regret anything. A, a lot of musicians, a lot of entertainers, but particularly a lot of musicians, while they're doing it, will come across like, oh, yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever done, blah, blah, blah. But it's almost like there's a peer pressure thing to do that because every single one of us, you know, we, we wanted to go to New York and be successful jazz musicians or 
we wanted to go to LA and work in the studio scene or, you know, what, whatever we were, whatever our end goal was, nobody's end goal was working on a cruise ship. That was a stepping stone thing. But, you know, most of us looking back on it are like, man, I had a great time out there. And I did, you know, I had a great time. I, uh, I was able to save some money while I was out there. And that money is how I was able to finish up my bachelor's degree and pay for my master's degree as well. And uh, I, I got better as a player. I got better as a writer. Um, I, I had all the time in the world to practice. I got fed. <laughs> for <You> free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like guys that saw me when I was still in college and, you know, I was like, wait, I weighed like 145, 150 pounds soaking wet. And after a few years on the boat, I come home and I'm like a hundred pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I got, I got huge. I got up to about 245 and, you know, people were like, you, you, you got bigger. <laughs> So it was like, you know, it was good being able to eat, but I also had access to a gym. So, you know, I started yeah. going to the gym all the time and I was able to lose a fair amount of that, you know, at least enough that I wasn't worried about having a heart attack. And well, um, I mean, judging by the, uh, I, I kissed up to one of our waiters because, you know, I'm Filipino and he was <laughs> Filipino. So he brought me some adobo from y'all's uh, uh, dinner one night to the main dining room and i was like man you, your chef makes this really well <laughs> and so. the um we we used to bitch and moan about the uh the crew the crew food like what they served us down in the crew mess but i would always tell people now what you need to do is figure out who's working in the kitchen and what it is they like to eat and eat that i mean it's like you know yeah, of course the burgers were dry and the chicken was dry, but the adobo was amazing. The curry mm-hmm. was amazing, you know, and part of the wonderful thing about being on boats, it's not just the traveling, it's the meeting people and, you know, yeah. getting to meet, you know, traveling destroyed a whole lot of misconceptions that I had about the world and about the people in it. Um, it, it killed a lot of the negative aspects of my personality, you know, things I didn't even really realize were negative aspects of it, but um, just learning how to see the world on its terms, instead of through this very um, privileged American lens that I didn't even realize I'd grown up in. Um, You know, I thought I knew what poverty was because we grew up poor. No, I had no idea. You know, going to some of these other countries and meeting people and hearing their stories and accepting them on their own terms, accepting their culture on its own terms. Um, It taught me a lot. And, you know, just the eating things I never thought that I would like, like fish heads and smelts. This stuff is wonderful. What <laughs> what have I been missing out on? You know, now like chicken adobo, um, mm-hmm. like particularly like Filipino adobo, I still can't make a passable version of it. But uh, I I can give I've, you a recipe for it if you want. Oh yes, please. Um, I've come up with a few that are there. It's good for what it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of bacon and olives in there. <laughs> but um, it's it's I learned I. 
I learned to truly love food out on cruise ships. <laughs> for every bad meal that I had, well, probably for every three or four bad meals I had, I had an amazing meal that I still remember to this day. Yeah. Um, I learned what French onion soup is really supposed to taste like out on a mm. cruise ship. And oh, yeah. French cooking in general. Um, I learned about how great like Filipino food is and Indian food. And, you know, I had real Mexican food in Mexico for the first time out on cruise ship, you know, not this stuff that we grew up with here, Tex-Mex, but actual, actual, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, now I'm a, I'm a major foodie and I, you know, like I got a bunch of French recipes that I'm always trying to practice and get better. And, uh, a lot of Italian stuff because I spent a lot of time in Italy when I was out there too. And um, just it, all the travel and the people I met just gave me a big love and respect for things beyond my borders that I knew nothing about. And okay. uh, it, I, I would not take it back for the world. When I first quit, I thought, man, I'm never going on a cruise ship for a vacation ever. <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> But now I'm like, I can't wait to be able to take my wife and my daughters out on a ship and show them a part of the world that they haven't seen yet. So, so if you, and that actually brings me to my next question. If you could uh, go on a cruise ship with your family as a, as a passenger, what's your favorite port of call that you wanted to show your family? Um, and keep in mind, some of these have changed quite a bit in the last few years, but um Going off of my previous experiences, um, the Mediterranean, uh, Italy, um, Croatia, uh, parts of Portugal and Spain that we went to, that, I mean, that, that was a great time. And particularly just being able to get to see the history, um, you know, Rome, it, everybody needs to go to Rome at least once, you know, you need to see what civilization was capable of way back when um it just you know they're just marveling at the awe of the of what's still there you know it was yeah. pretty cool um but you know also just um seeing the countryside and seeing how close everything is like you know you can get a get on a train in italy and go to france go to austria go to germany um take it all the way up to frisia there's it there's just so much to see there but um in terms of the states alaska um alaska is just it if if you're wanting to lay out on beaches and party and whatnot don't go to alaska Alaska's quiet Alaska is where you get to go see nature and nature will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a different kind of exciting. (laughs) Uh, That's going to be a (laughs) soundbite. That's what Alaska teaches you is that Nature doesn't give a shit about you. <laughs> You're gonna have to that out. <laughs> Nature will kill you, but it's beautiful, you know. Yeah, I've always wanted to take an Alaskan cruise. Um, I'm kind of jealous of one of my friends. He's going on an Alaskan cruise uh, this summer with oh. his, with his family, and of course, he's excited because he's 
he was stationed there for five years and he gets to see a side of Alaska that he didn't have to be working in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Man, if you're a fisherman, if you like to fish, like mm-hmm. Alaska, you you gotta go to Alaska. It's it's um it I like to fish, like, I just can't catch fish. Hey, I'm horrible at catching them myself, but I like to be there for the part after you catch the fish. Yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> um Hawaii I Hawaii is so beautiful um the the problem is of course it's over touristed now right now you know like during the pandemic that they they had a hard time getting business done because you know nobody could travel and whatnot um but you know for the people from there that's probably actually a good thing because it's you just have this sense of just way too many people going there and not really treating the place with the respect that it deserves. Um, so like what I want to say to people that are wanting to go to Hawaii, be respectful. Don't destroy the place. If you're rich and you go to Hawaii, don't say, Hey, I want to build a house there. Cause chances are you're going to be building a house somewhere up on top of the mountain and they're going to be clearing a lot of trees out of there. And you're going to end up causing mudslides mm-hmm. and destruction of the fresh water and all that stuff. So, you know, if you're going to Hawaii, respect the place. That That's the thing I just want to throw out there for anybody considering going to Hawaii. Because it, yeah. it's like the gym <laughs> in the American <laughs> Empire, if you want to call it that. It's such a beautiful place. And uh it, I just feel like a lot of tourists just they don't respect the place, and it's you know it it it's definitely worthy of our respect. Respect. I mean, all places are. You yeah. know, we we got about um, uh, five minutes left um, on our room. Um, are there any like uh, socials or um, any gigs you got coming up that you want to plug or anything like that? Uh, tonight. At the UCO Jazz Lab. Oh, this will come out next week. (laughs) Oh, Oh, right on. Well, um, (laughs) I I can't really think. I I cleared out my my January calendar because the whole family got COVID and then a whole bunch of other stuff came up. So this gig I have tonight is like the... uh, The only gig I have scheduled for this month, um, and I don't really know what February is, but um, I would say just stay tuned to the UCO Jazz Lab um, Facebook page or website. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on there all the time. That's that's where my office is. That's that's where I work for the university. But uh, we always have a lot of groups in there, and um, occasionally you'll see a group that I'm a member of performing there as well. So yeah, just check that out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that'll do it for um, the interview. I thank you, Zach, yeah, for thank you joining so much. us. And I hope you enjoyed it. And we may ask you back if you don't mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Anytime. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like we barely well, scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to scratch. <laughs> well, I do have one more question. Can you talk to John Heald and say, "Hey, my buddy's got a got a podcast that's really cool. Can you want to you want to be on it for?" <laughs> Actually, I, I I could. John was my cruise director on The Legend and The Liberty. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I'd, I I would hope he remembers me. We spent enough time together. 
But is he I don't as goofy know. in I real just... life as he is on his Facebook page? I really liked working with John. He was he was he was fun. He's he was great. good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you very much, oh, and break a leg on your gig tonight. Hey, man. Thanks. No problem. It's good, good to see you again. I'll talk to you. <laughs> That is all the time that we have for today. Thank you all for joining us at Carnival Cruising Podcastaways. You can find us on Facebook under Carnival Cruising Podcastaways. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That would just be, oh, so wonderful. Give us a like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya.